Okay, good morning, visionaries. It wouldn't be right to have a Sunday special edition this time of the year without talking about inviting you to convention 2019. And I must confess, I'm shameless this morning because I've been peeking in on the workshop about what's developing here for this convention, and it is electric, and I'm so excited. I'm almost ready. Well, I think, in fact, I am ready to break out in song. Let's do it. Overture, curtain lights, this is it. We'll hit the heights, and oh, what heights we'll hit. On with the show, this is it. Okay, I told you I was shameless. I am jumped up and spinning around excited. A Vision for You presents convention 2019 it's not retreat 2019 it's not marathon 2019 and it certainly isn't conference 2019 it's new heights in recovery convention 2019 i wanted to let you know 61 days ladies and gents until these heights will be hit those curtains will be drawn up but the deadline for registration is however 39 days away. Where in the world can you get recovery in one spot like this? Where in the world, more importantly, can you run to get yourself all signed up, registered up for something like this? It's recovery like you've never seen before face-to-face. -face. Well, I'll let you know. It's on our website at A Vision For You. That web address is, take a pencil, www.avisionforyou.info. And of course, that's the number four there. Everything convention can be found there. Don't go to your friends. Don't go to your grandma. Don't go to your social media. When you need to know about convention, go to avisionforyou.info. When is this shindig, you ask? It's November 15th through the 17th at the Liberty International Airport Marriott Hotel. Oh, by the way, bring your best jammies. We're going to be pulling all-nighters. Thanks so much. And with that, let's get back to this fabulous, fabulous chapter of family afterwards. Leah, it's for you. Thank you so much, Melanie C. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, September 15, 2019. The share ID numbers for Friday, September the 13th, are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 13,396, that's 13396. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 13,398, that's 13398. This morning, A Vision for You presents Chapter 9, The Family Afterward, It's All Relative. It's often said, nothing in life gives us more joy than relationships and nothing in life challenges us more than relationships. Relationships are our ultimate challenge for the same reason that they are our ultimate joy. Relationships, especially with family members, are about growing, changing, expanding, and giving, and giving, and giving. They are about showing unselfishness and love. This process, when sincerely engaged in, challenges every fiber of our being. No role can catalyze inner growth more than the roles of spouse, parent, child, or friend. When we were in our disease of compulsive overeating, we created circumstances due to our selfishness and self-centeredness, which wrought all kinds of damage, conflict, and pain. 
Yes, there is a long period of reconstruction ahead. That is true. The family afterward describes the many challenges and readjustments facing the family of the recovered alcoholic, in our case, recovered compulsive overeaters. There are new skills of communication and compromise to develop and new attitudes to practice, practice, and practice. This morning, we'll be bringing to life Chapter 9, The Family Afterward. You'll find it on page 122 in your text. We have four recovered compulsive overeaters that have agreed to thread together the Chapter 9, Family Afterward, with their personal experience. Four panelists this morning include Katie F. from Virginia, Russ M., from Pennsylvania, Melanie C. from Oregon, and Adam S. from California. Of course, we greatly appreciate your service today. So let's get started with Katie F. from Virginia. Good morning, Katie. Good morning. This is Katie F., a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia, starting my timer. And um, I'm just so honored to be able to do this this morning. And overwhelmed and nervous and all those things and as I was reminded um, this morning I'm not doing this to impress all of you who are recovered and have this down pat I'm here to give experience strength and hope for those who maybe are in the middle of um, family dynamics that seem to never get better or um, or worse so uh, let's just start right here at the beginning of this chapter um, In the first paragraph, it says, all members of the family should meet upon the common ground of tolerance, understanding, and love. This involves a process of deflation. And then it goes on to say, each is interested in having his or her wishes respected. We find the more one member of the family demands that the others concede to him, the more resentful they become. This makes for discord and unhappiness. Um, you know, and it's because I want to take the lead, um, trying to arrange the family show to my liking. And that is sort of a theme that has thread throughout my um, almost 32 years of recovery. And the great news is, and the biggest thing I have to share today is the fact that I have gone through very difficult relationships and I have not had to plummet back down the steps, back down to the ground, back digging a deeper hole of disease to learn something new. I've learned something new while staying abstinent, while staying recovered, just growing in spiritual um, understanding and effectiveness. Uh, So when I got here, um, just to give some, a little bit of statistics, I was in OA for six years um, after dieting for, uh, since I started dieting when I was about nine years old, came to OA briefly and when I was 14, came back when I was 21 and had on and off again um, recovery for six years. And it was in full-blown relapse when I came back in um, 1987 and found a way of working this program that stuck for me. And I had pretty much alienated my entire family from me because they were really sick of me saying, uh, this is it, I'm really abstinent this time. So when I did get abstinent, I made no declarations, I made no announcements, I told no one. And I I kept that way for several months, um, which when you're 27 feels like a long time. 
so I was single. So I didn't have a husband to worry about. I wasn't living at home. I didn't have parents to worry about. I had four roommates and um, I hadn't ruined those relationships. So things were pretty good, but I did have to go back to work. And um, the next day after I got abstinent and I had those relationships to deal with and I had to learn a lot because I worked in a restaurant and I worked for a big fat chef who insisted I try the food he prepared. And I snapped my mouth shut and said, no. And that was a huge thing for me because I was a people pleaser and I didn't want to, um, you know, I thought that's what I had to do. It's not so much that I was a people pleaser, but that's what I had used as an excuse for not um, staying abstinent for years was someone else saying something to me that made me had to eat what they wanted me to eat. And that um, faucet got turned off. So that was the first place was in that first workplace. And the other people that I worked with were very supportive. Um, so I moved on and then, you know, I really wanted my whole family to embrace this whole idea of recovery. And I did slowly tell them what I was doing. They got used to the fact that I was weighing and measuring. And I no longer tried to, you know, make the holiday meals um, match, somehow match my abstinent food. Um, I became neutral with the food as I um, stayed abstinent. And that has continued for 31 years. I have become less and less and less interested in what other people are eating. And as I'm not interested in what they're eating, they're not interested in what I'm eating. So that's one way that um, the tolerance has come into, into play is that they're tolerant of me and I'm tolerant of them because I'm not demanding that they, um, you know, only go to a restaurant I can eat at, only eat dinner at a time that I want to eat dinner, only have Thanksgiving when I want to have Thanksgiving and all those things that can just trip us up in recovery because we're used to being the center stage through our drama and our, um, just making everything all about me, I demanded that everyone uh, just understand me and, you know, just understand what I needed and what I wanted, um, which goes along with this uh, quote on page 125. It says, we alcoholics are sensitive people. And so that sensitivity has, you know, not just gone away. We alcoholic people are sensitive people. It doesn't say until we recover and then we come, we become, you know, just so easily the ones where water um, falls off their back like a duck. You know, I loved that phrase and I just, I just wanted so much to be that kind of a person. And it took me a long time to become that kind of a person. And truth be told, I'm still a sensitive person. This week I had my feelings hurt by my boss and I wanted him to, you know, say something different than what he said to me. And he, he didn't do it. And I had to, again, go to my people and say, what can I do? What can I do? I, I can't stand it that he, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I worked through the steps on it and I got over it and I didn't burn any bridges. So I think that's, that is probably my biggest message about working with the family afterwards, working with people who are not in these rooms with us. Um, although I have a lot of experience with that too, with, you know, sponsors and sponsees and friends who, you know, we, we clashed and then 
you know, years later, we are the best of friends. And that was not the way my life worked when I was in disease. I burned bridges. I torched it behind me. And I never wanted to talk to you again. And, you know, when I think now, it's like I can't think of any relationships in my life, past um, or present, where I would not become where I would be uncomfortable if I ran into you. And that is huge for me. Um, Now, there's some relationships that it would be awkward. It would be a little weird. But I do not have skeletons in my closet that I'm like, oh, no. I need to, you know, I really need to make amends to them, but I never did it. The steps have allowed me to work through all of those relationships. And some of those relationships, it meant I just had to let go and say, it's just not going to be any more than it is. And I don't need to keep beating it up. Most people that I am even very close to are, are very, uh, may have very little awareness of the fact that I have a stepmother uh, two half-brothers, a half-sister, and two step-brothers, all of which I do not speak to. Now, is it because I don't speak to them or because they don't speak to me? It doesn't really matter. I'm 59 years old. None of them live close to me. And yet, if we all ended up in the same room together, I would hug them. I would say hello. I would want to know how they are. And that is what acceptance has done for me in these rooms is I don't, I don't think about those relationships on a daily basis. Um, I, quite frankly, I didn't even think about it until I was, pra- you know, not practicing, but getting ready for this talk. Because I was thinking, well, I don't have any relationships that are estranged today. I can say that. And I was like, well, no, not exactly. Because there's all those people. That's what, six, seven people that I never talked to who are my relatives. But it's just the way it is. It's just the way my family dynamic worked. And if God wants me to have more of a relationship with him, I trust him to guide me to that. But I don't keep beating the door of their hearts to say, let me in, let me in. Why can't we be friends? Why don't you care about my kids? Why don't you, why don't you ever want to come visit my farm? Why don't you want to know about X, Y, and Z? I just, I have moved on. Um, So in my current life, um, I have, since recovery, I did got married after seven years of abstinence to a man who had already been married and had had two children. So with that brought a two-year-old, a four-year-old, and an ex-wife. And that was, to say the least, challenging. Um, I went from being a single woman living in the city, working, doing whatever I want when I wanted, within the realm of reason, to being married, living on a dairy farm. I got pregnant on my honeymoon. And so within 18 months of moving back to Virginia from Colorado, I became a stay-at-home mother with a a three-year-old, a five-year-old, and an infant living on a dairy farm, not working. So I was scared to death of um, ever living that way. But, you know, one day at a time, I wasn't scared while I was doing that. I was just very happy. And um, God gave me what I needed when I needed it. And at that time, my mother and all three of my sisters were abstinent. They were a good support to me um, when I didn't have a strong local meeting. And we, um, 
They all weighed and measured their food, just like I did. We all ate the same. We had Thanksgiving dinner when I wanted it. When we all wanted it, we had abstinent food. Everything was lovely. And I was dealing with an ex-wife and um, who I thought I could just be friends with her. Um, and that blew up, and I had to make amends to her for the way I spoke to her. And I finally understood my husband, who kept telling me, don't try to talk to her. Just let me deal with this. And so I had to let him deal with it. And um, on 128, it says, giving rather than getting will become the guiding principle. And that's what has been the guiding principle in those relationships is, you know, I can't make an agenda of what I want from my stepchildren, from um, his ex-wife or, or any of that. And uh, it's, it's meant a lot of surrender and a lot of letting go and trusting, letting go and trusting, saying nothing, saying nothing, nodding my head, saying okay, and trusting my husband to do what he needed to do in his timing. And that just sounds so easy <laughs> until you're me trying to live it. And um, it's meant a lot of surrender and but the beautiful thing is um, now, fast forward, um, I can be in the same room with my husband's ex-wife. We all can get along together. Um, three years ago, my oldest stepdaughter got married. My husband gave her away um, with her stepfather. They each held her side. Um, we all got along. Uh, my son-in-law is... Uh, very close and communicates with all of my children. We have uh, two stepdaughters, a son and a daughter, and they all get along very well. And right now, at this moment, I'm waiting to hear when my first grandchild will be born. Now, if 15 years ago, when my, uh, me and the ex-wife had this blow up over a doctor's bill that she, whatever, um, you know, and I had burned that bridge, and alienated everyone, I would not have this beautiful experience today. But it doesn't mean that going back to page um, 122 that, um, that I am playing the lead and trying to arrange the family show to suit myself. I have had to let go of my agenda and with my own family, my sisters. Um, I had a sister who was in actually in program for 10 years and decided that it wasn't for her. She walked away. My other two sisters and my mother threw away their measuring cups, spoons and scales and um, well, they didn't throw them away, but they stopped using it. They all gained back every bit of weight that they'd ever lost. They are far from a support in the terms of having the food I need, although they respect me. They respect what I do and they don't try to you know, get me to eat other things. They don't suggest I'm stupid for doing what I do. We are all having love and tolerance of each other. And I have a relationship with all of them today. My mother um, passed away. Uh, it'll be six months um, on Tuesday since she passed away. And um, I had a beautiful relationship with her up, up till her last breath. And I would not have had that if I did not follow the principles of this program of this chapter that teaches us to, um, I will just end with the last lines of this chapter. It says, 
um, these three mottos, which are apropos. First things first, live and let live, easy does it. So that's what I've had to do one day at a time, and I continue to do in order to continue to grow in effectiveness and be what God wants me to be and not um, who I think I'm supposed to be. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you very much, KDF, for sharing your experience with us. Next panelist, Russ M. Good morning, Russ. Good morning, Lay. Good morning, family. Russ M., recovered compulsive overeater outside of Philly. So I'm just going to read a couple passages real quick before I start. Page 122, cessation of drinking is but the first step away from a highly strained abnormal condition. A doctor says, said to us, years of living it with an alcoholic is almost sure to make any wife or child neurotic. The entire family is, to some extent, ill. And then I go over to the third paragraph on 127. Since the home has suffered more than anything else, it is well that a man exert himself there. He is not likely to get far in any direction if he fails to show unselfishness and love under his roof. We know there are difficult wives and families, but the man who's getting over alcoholism must remember he did much to make it so make them so okay so you know if you heard me if you ever spoke with me if you got with me face to face you find out the, the the greatest accomplishment of my life second to my relationship with god is my wife and kids not not a business not my education not none of it it, it pales in comparison to my, my wife and kids, it's what I always wanted in my whole life, and God gifted me with this. But see, this, this disease was expensive. It cost me a lot. And, you know, some of it was my own fault, too. It's not just like I, I don't want to pawn it off on the disease. I had my hand in it. Like it says, I know that I'm at fault for this. But I caused so much upheaval in my, with my wife before we had kids with the kids, with my in-laws, with my parents, my household was in shambles. It's upside down. So now that I'm Mr. Recovery, Captain OA over here, yeah, how's it going now, right? How is it now? Am I still crazy out of the food? Am I still sensitive? Am I still the same guy, just a little thinner? There's a lot of that going on, right? I am sensitive, right? I'm still sensitive. I'm out of the food, and things bother me. People get on my nerves, whether it's my kids, my in-laws, myself. I get on my own nerves. You know, I talk about recovery all day long, right? This is the only thing I got. I'm holding on to it for dear life. But sometimes that gets on your nerves. When, you know, in this one part, it says a little trifle, right? That little trifle, I explode. When I first got free of the food, I was raw. And I still was doing that. No, I still was exploding. Still having rage. And I was irritable. So what's, what's the difference if, I, <laughs> if I'm heavier, right? I'm, I'm in the food. And I'm not crazy, or I'm out of the food, and I'm still crazy. What's the difference? 
I need to work this spiritual program of action. I got to grow the heck up. And I got to learn how to deal with life and deal with relationships. And, and the most valuable relationships to me are my, with, my God, with God and, and my wife and kids. And, um, you know, it, it, it's funny because, you know, this page about, you know, I became a religious enthusiast, right? Enthusiast. You know, I can't focus on anything else. And a lot of times that's true for me. Because this this way of life has taken me over. And it's it's set a new bar. It's made me want to uh, um, shoot to be the man that God wants me to be. Make me sh- It's making me shoot to be the husband, the father, the son-in-law, the son. And just a, a person that, you know, if God looks at what I'm doing in life, he's proud of me. My higher power is proud of me, of how I'm living my life. That's what this has done for me. Yet, you know, I still got, I'm still a human being. I still fall, right? I still screw up a lot. And, um, you know, my 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 family, <laughs> you know, I can hit them with, you know, you got, you, since I'm in recovery, you know, you got to be love and tolerant. Now that I got, you know, I have a spiritual awakening. I could see everyone else's flaws, you know, and I get to point them out. That's not what, the way I should be living my life. And with, so so now it's called me to a higher, a deeper um, intensity with myself and my relationship with God. So if I'm striving for that relationship with God, these other relations, relationships are going to fall in place. And there's so many different blessings that come through. So, you know, the, the one thing... It, and on 128, you know, down at the bottom, after that religious enthusiast thing, they, say, they may be jealous of a God who has stolen dad's affections. While grateful that he drinks no more, they may not like the idea that God has accomplished the miracle that they where they failed. They often forget father was beyond human aid. You know, I find that, you know, my wife, sometimes you're on a meeting again. Oh, you're taking a call. Oh, you got to pray. Oh, okay. You know, what, what about us? What about us? You know, I I don't know. I never really talked to my wife deep about that. Cause, you know, I, I don't want to get into any anything. But I'm sure she feels like, you know, for 20 years, 22 years I was with this guy, or 20 years I was with him, I did everything for him. And, and I had to be his mother. I had to take care of him. He was always sick, always had some BS, always had some kind of, excuse or she worked her life around me and then all of a sudden three four months i'm through the steps i'm a new man how how did how the heck does that happen right how does that happen and um i'm sure she battles that i never really asked her maybe i should right um but you know the proof is in the pudding proof is in the pudding and i don't mean russ I'm not saying that. I know who gets the credit. God is transforming my life. So my family's seeing this. They're seeing little things. You know, that giving rather than getting. That's, that's, and that surprises me because I'm a self-centered, egotistical, narcissistic type person. That's my nature. And I find myself, the desire of my, my intentions are now for my wife and kids. And they see it. And now there's there's a beauty in our relationship. I mean, really, from my wife and I, you know, 
it's 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 incredible. When I first got in the program, there was tensions there. You know, there was a lot of blame. I blamed her. She blamed me. We had financial issues. We, you know, there's things that I did that hurt her still in program. And, you know, things that, you know, she had to take care of herself and it crushed me. Certain things that she had to do for herself. But guess what? Man, it's like 1997 all over again. Me chasing this beautiful wife of mine this this woman that i knew had my heart it's like a new it's a new beginning man and it's 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 my gosh i could go on and on about that i don't want to waste that time but man oh man you know the more i immerse myself in program the more i work with others the more i'm attentive to my wife and my children really looking at my intentions what am i supposed to do for them how can i serve them how can i live as, as the man of God wants me to be as a husband and father, would blessings come? And I'm not even asking for them. I'm not saying I got to do this and this kind of, No, just, you know, if I simplify it and just recover, I mean, I've, it's incredible the blessings that, that, that God has given us, God's grace. I mean, I, I get choked up thinking about it. It's like we're courting again, my wife and I. I mean, we get into it because we're human beings. Well, man, oh, man, is the communication incredible now. And it's not a matter of God. God made it happen, right? It's not a matter of me praying for my wife. Oh, I hope she changes. No, 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 no. This all came because God is bracing me. And, and he's opening up my heart that I would pray for my family that I could be better for them. What, the, what are their needs? You know, how am I supposed to serve them? And I never would have thought that because I got to be the boss. I got to be the man of the house. And I got, you know, I have to be this prototypical father and husband, you know, that, you know, got to be a control freak to make things work and have to be the head of the household. It's not like that. When I surrender that and I continue to do it every day, these, there's, it's just beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, and you know that thing about my my wife wearing a pants that that that, that was true. You know uh, now it's different. And you know initially when I started, you know doing a couple things for myself, like really asserting myself, boy, there was a little bit of backlash. There was a little bit of pressure there. And you know, you know we had a couple blow ups. There's a couple things going on with the kids. Like you're not supposed to do that. But yo, well, hold on. She was used to doing it for 20 years. How can I? How can I uh, argue with her? So I backed up. I prayed about it. I continue to pray about it. I asked God to reveal to me, what, what, what do you want me to do here? And it seems to just flow. It just starts working out. And now there's an understanding. We're doing things together the way it should be done. And there's certain things I do on my own that I was supposed to be doing. And it alleviated a lot of pressure for my wife, uh, financially, emotionally, and um it's cool. It's cool. I never thought ever that I could be in this position. You know, that, that there's a peace and a serenity. It's not always mayhem in my house. See, my, my little guys, my little, I have five children, right? My oldest is going to be 18. My youngest is going to be eight. My younger two never saw me as the crazy maniac. But my upper three, that's all they knew. So now, you know, I'm working with my daughter, working with my son. It's, it's beautiful. 
Now I could be the father that that I was I was called to be, you know. And it's only because, it's only because of God in this program and practicing these principles, right? Working on on a spiritual awakening, and really, you know, everything that we need for life really is in this book, man. It really truly is of how to just manage life. You know, I could I keep couldn't keep going on as the spoiled brat my whole life, right? I got to accept life the way it is. It, if I ain't get my way, what's that have to do with my wife and kids? Why do I have to beat up on them? Or why do I have to, you know, steal money or, you know, bulldoze people to eat, to not feel the, feel what life is like? I got to grow up. And this is what this has done for me. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. I, I do want to share one other thing. I don't know how much time I have here. But, uh, left. Um, you know, my oldest, my son, when he was born, I was in the height, the dregs of it, man. I was in bad shape. And, you know, I just, you know, I have to admit to myself, I want to say my mother-in-law got in there, my parents got in there, my father-in-law fathered him. No, no. Truth be told is that I was sick and I didn't have the capacity to be the father I, 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 I wanted to be. That was supposed to be for Joe. And, you know, working the program, I mean, it's just a blessing. It comes out of nowhere. It just came out of nowhere. Because, you know, I'm doing a little bit of work, but really it's God that did this. He's given me my desires, man. This month we are coming back from the shore. And things are much, much better, right? And we're on the road. And yeah, I made amends to him, but I, I, like, I felt like it was half-assed. So I had a chance to do it. And we were talking. And he said to me, he looked at me, he said, Dad, you couldn't help it. He said, you were pretty jacked up there. He goes, I know you had uh, issues with the food. But he says, I know you were always there for me. He said, I know you would always protect me. I know that you're my dad. I said, but Joe, I didn't treat you great. You know, I had I had these issues. He said, he said Dad, you were like born with that. Like, this kid's 18 years old. How'd that happen? It doesn't exonerate me from everything I did, you know, things I didn't do to things I did. But how does he know that? God bless me with that. This kid is incredible. The relationship is just blossoming, and and it goes right down the right down the line with everyone, every one of my kids, and it's it's a beautiful thing. And and I, you know, I know I'm doing good when he goes, Yo, Big Daddy R, how you doing? Like he just the the relationships are just blossoming. But it's all contingent, dude. If I, if I, even if I eat, even if I eat, if I move away from what the big book and my, you know, my 10 steps, my 11 steps, working with others, I jeopardize having this relationship. I jeopardize what's going on here. I jeopardize this life that I was craving, that I was, that I would, really, I would kill for it. That's the whole thing. I ate over because I couldn't have what the life that I wanted. And now, when I surrendered, God broke me, which is beautiful. It's the greatest thing in the world. He blessed me with what I always desire. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. That surrender. So, you know, my, my family is my greatest, is everything to me. And it was the impetus 
of me coming in the program because I had no other options. And this book and these 12 steps, this way of life is no joke. No joke. You know, yeah, it's a little bit rough and you got to look at yourself, but that's only temporary. You know, you just, you gut the house, you get rid of the junk, you put up new, new drywall, and boy, it looks immaculate. I'm not saying I'm immaculate. I'm saying it's hard, a little bit of hard work, but it's so worth it. And um, I'm just blessed. I, I, I mean, if it ain't through the, through the grace of God, I ain't, I ain't on this line today. For real, for real. I'm not even BSing it. That's not jargon. That's the truth. So I love you guys, and I'm here. If you ever need me, just hit me up. Thank you, Larry, for this opportunity. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Russ M., for sharing your experience with us this morning. Now I introduce Melanie C. from Oregon. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, Leah. Good morning. I didn't have to read far to find the disease in this chapter, therefore the crux of the problem, which is me. Hi, everyone. My name is Melanie C. I have been recovered now for several full moons because of grace and mercy and unmerited favor. The power that was found in the big book, that one was to prevail. In the fall of 2005, it seems that I had finally come to the place where I was out of answers and out of yes buts and, quite frankly, out of questions. My family life was a scene of destruction, the entire lot of us. I had lived some 49-plus years on this earth knowing that something was wrong and had thought that I had exhausted every reasonable offering for help, you know, personally, religiously, and professionally. Somewhere along the line, Overeaters Anonymous came to mind again. I thought that I had successfully dodged that option in 1989. But here it was again in the fall of 2005. So I said to self, if you're going to revisit Overeaters Anonymous, then you got to give it a fair shot. So I would shut my mouth and say yes to it all. The best decision that I have ever made in my entire life, bar none. You all set before me the solution and stayed right with me until I could see and understand just a bit beyond my nose. And then you stayed with me to this day. We worked the steps and learned that service to others and to God is what I was going to be fitting myself to now that my life had been turned around. Love and tolerance is our code. Yikes is what I used to say. We will be visiting a couple of these scenes of destruction generally as I present some more to you, the destruction created by me. I learned this during the step process. The family afterwards is filled with instructions worthy of pen and paper and highlighter from the jump. The instructions are clear and cautionary and every I'm sorry, an ever-ready manual to avoid pitfalls along the way. As you read along, you will notice that it is filled with a, a kind of a field guide of how-tos and what to do next and what to expect from family. I was to know this soon enough from a personal experience. Since I was so utterly sick, the outflow of harm that I caused my family ran very deeply on all levels of human existence. Selfish and self-centeredness verging on narcissism is a toxic, corroding thing. I was ready now to take on the responsibility to amend the records that, I, that was left in my wake. I was taught to look at Chapter 9, the family afterward, from that point of view, that I was the sick one. I caused the problem. 
it says here on 122, years of living with an alcoholic is almost sure to make any wife or child neurotic. The entire family is to some extent ill. The sick person that caused this carnage was me. Where was I to blame? Where had I not shown up? How was I to be patient with this family as they adjusted this new way of life that I had just dumped upon them? After all, hadn't they put up with a lot from me all these years? I was to continue until they felt safe, until they felt love again, until the trust was restored, until they could put their guard down. I would restrain my tongue. I would give in service of myself and take a backseat to everything. I would understand that my thinking and my view on things had not only been selfish and wrong, but this had been an everyday, every way sort of living for me all of the time. I would be picking up where I had dropped the ball, and I would do so tirelessly. I would cultivate gratitude and cheerfulness, something that I had lost and stolen from these people long ago. And frankly, it didn't come to me automatically anyway in the first place. All the play and laughter had gone out of the family completely. I would be learning more of God and pressing into the power, into that power every step of the way if I were to make any headway whatsoever with anything on this earth and most especially my precious family. I was to be patient when the family does not turn around. I was to be in this deal for life exercising the long game. I hit this family hard every day and stole quite a lot from them. The family afterward chapter here, although I did quote one piece, I took rather a helicopter view, tying in all these instructions to everything that I do on a daily basis. And I'd like to give you two examples of the miracles working with God and my sponsor and my board of director all of these years. And here's, here's the first one. I want to talk to you about my darling husband. There is so much that I could tell you about this. This has been a long haul thing, a long stretch for me. Pulling this out root and branch from Melanie was not easy. I didn't let go so easy, and my husband stayed. I could go on and on about the details. This story would rip the heart out of the most callous person, if you could even see. He became a shell of a person as a result of my treatment of him. When I met him, he had been in college after a, a long stint of being in the military. He was carefree and innocent, a college senior living and working at the fire station as a medic to fund his way through college, and he became smitten with me. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a wreckage of a person like me in the cups of my disease with a single mother with a son? His only aim was to make me happy. Think about what an undertaking that was. He gave over his entire life to that task, denying himself everything. And I'm not, dis I'm not exaggerating that. He denied himself everything. On the occasion that I'm going to tell you about, we had been married a bit, and he would be traveling during the week from West Coast to East Coast to meet up with his clients, trying from a distance to keep a job together and his family together under the pressure of these billion-dollar companies he was meeting with in Canada and New York City. When he arrived home on Friday night, he would find me an absolute mess and the boys. We were raising my, my brother's children at the time, desperately needing care. I would love to be able to paint a picture for you. I just don't have time today of what that looked like. He would work hard to put us all back together again, 
making sure there was food in the house, the house was clean again, the children were attended to in some way again, and then on the plane he would go at 4 a.m. in the morning, on Monday morning, to do it all over again. This he did year in and year out with not one complaint, and I swear to God, as my witness, not one complaint. From one carefree and naive fella, he lost his self-worth and his joy for living. He walked with his head down, <clears throat> and completely at a loss as how to help me. I shamed him. I mocked him. I demanded of him. I ignored him, and he still loved me and pressed on. The work in these rooms and the miracle of God through the 12 steps has turned us around. He no longer seemingly flinches when I come into a room to speak with him. Um, I was taught through this chapter to restrain and never criticize or complain or exercise my rights, Melanie's rights. This sort of thinking had to be changed and smashed until I could think rightly again. This was the first sign of hope that I could even shut my mouth. I believed that he was brought to me by God. He taught me how to hold on. He saw something in us that I couldn't see, and God restored us before I completely ran this man aground. His joy is back. The light is back in his eyes. His hope in the future is back. Putting, uh, putting himself in a place where he is having spring in his step, he is venturing back into things that he had long since put back and wasn't doing again for his own interest. It is just a delight to see. Matter of fact, he's offering ideas and things and, and wishes and stuff into our, our relationship because he feels safe again to do so and he's being honored for it. Putting him first was absolutely necessary for this to be an option. Following the instructions to the T in the family afterwards was needed. Working the steps on me only was the key. It is not anything that he had ever done. It was me. I will never be able to repay him the debt that I owe, but he has agreed to stay for a lifetime so that I can at least try to come close. God has brought us a long way in this family afterward. I'm panning through my mind to see so many other skeletons, and God is working on those as well. But this piece with my marriage is fundamental. We continue to work on it on a daily basis. We're stretching and growing all the time with our ups and downs, with our personality styles, learning about each other every single day. And thank God I have a place to go that solves every problem that I have as a result of this blinding debilitating disease. The second family situation I'd like to share with you is with my darling ex-daughter-in-law. My son is not well. <laughs> he blew this little precious family apart. The day that they told us that they were pregnant with our first and only grandchild, I thought I'd never be a grandparent, apparently they were preparing to divorce. Our son was called by our ex-daughter-in-law to let him know about this news so that he could come home from being out of state with another woman. We learned this in hindsight. What they had put together then was to be able to deliver a facade of good news on the phone to us. Things went from bad to worse over the course of a very, very short time. There was a lot of domestic upset and eventually included a weapons charge. Our ex-daughter-in-law was not able to look at us ever again and no longer wanted to see us. 
All of this was just simply too painful for her and trust was broken across the board. She just could not manage. I would never see her or our grandchild again were the last words that I heard from her. I worked the steps through the instructions in the family afterward very, very, very hard I, with my fellows. I restrained my tongue until sometimes it just went numb some days. And when she did speak to me, I said yes to her every need, not for me, not for me, but to amend the tragedy of this contemptible disease that blew her precious life apart. She is such a darling. We have long since reconciled, and she calls me her mother. That was, that was a jaw-dropping day for me. I cannot even tell you what that means to me. She depends on our wisdom to, lead her, to help lead her in her life, and she trusts us implicitly and was the most precious thing to her, which is her, her son, our grandchild, every day of the week. We have been in that child's life, and dare I say, our ex, my ex-daughter-in-law, heavens no, my daughter's life since day two of that baby's life. As for my adult son, I do not sit by idly while he is away. God is constantly at, at work in this area too. The evidence is clear daily. I have a beautiful array of tools now in my tool chest. And thanks to God and the people around me, food is no longer within that tool chest. So for the family afterwards, these stages go on. And so much detail is left out of the entire lifespan that I've been in these rooms and before. And then before I came into these rooms, there's no time to continue to talk about it. Our family afterwards is different. It's just different than I thought it was going to be. But thank God, I can see different now. I can see different. I hope you can hear the distinction. I wasn't able to see different and apply things to it before. It is the most precious asset that I have. You know, um, the story in the back of the book, Dr. Paul O, acceptance is the answer speaks a great deal about the family afterwards and has a lot to say about the chronological order of things. And I would like to read a couple of things for you so that you can take a look at it for yourselves. The first is on the bottom of 417. It says, for years I was sure the worst thing that I could have happened to, that could happen to a nice guy like me would be that I would turn out to be an alcoholic. Today I find it's the best thing that has ever happened to me. This proves I don't know what's good for me. And then, again, I would like to read a little bit more at the bottom of 419. It hasn't been easy to work out this relationship with Max. That's his wife. On the contrary, the hardest place to work this program has been in my own home and with my children and finally with Max. It seems I should have learned to love my wife and family first, the newcomer to AA last, but it was the other way around. The other way around. I should have loved my wife and my family first. He talks more about acceptance being the key to all of these kinds of things and that what he had to do was watch his, his level of serenity rise and fall with every expectation that he put upon his family, that his rights would have to be moved out. If, he try, if they tried to move in, then he would need to work harder, all the harder. He had no rights is what he continues to say here. 
that what he was do was to do is to give over his life to service of his family to reconcile that particular piece that he destroyed and to be a service of God. And for a gal like me, putting this all together hasn't been easy either. I was filthy rags when I came in here. If you could only have been a fly on the wall. And I want to assure you that nothing, nothing that ever happened had anything to do with this, with them. I drove this deal into the ground. My mind, the way I saw things, the inconsiderations was me. Please consider looking at the family afterwards from the lenses of what must be done by the, the addict to restore the family. What must I do to put it upside right? The distance has no end. The wording would be until. I must until God has restored us to sanity and then pursue on, purge on. That's the best, the best way to use self-will, living a daily amends. Thank you for the opportunity to tell you all about a couple of tiny precious things and the miracles that abound from the result of working the steps, putting down the food and digging in and with the fellowship that continues to pour into my life every day. This is unmerited by me. I can't do this thing. The power in this big book did it all. Thank you, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Melanie C., for sharing your experience with us. And I now welcome our fourth panelist, Adam S. from California. Good morning, Adam. Hi, thank you so much. Um, Hi, I'm Adam. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, Grateful to be here. And uh, it's fun to wake up at 5 in the morning on a Sunday and uh, know that I'm... uh, I'm connected to the entire country, and uh, and I, I've really enjoyed uh, the panelists so far, and uh, I hope I can help um, on the matter of family. So um, I come from a large family. That's an important piece. I'm one of six, and uh, I also am married with four children uh, for many years. Uh, I got married before program at a young age. I come from a community where that was kind of the standard. So I got married at around 22 years old, and um, I'm 50, so I've been married for 28 years. And I'm saying that because uh, when I came to program in Los Angeles, you know, there aren't too many men, and there aren't too many. I'm a 100-pounder, which is a really important part of my story. You know, I really took, I take things very far. And... Uh, so I was always one of the heaviest people in the rooms um, in my life prior to walking into the rooms. And uh, I was very ready for recovery when I walked in uh, this time. You know, this was uh, November 1998. And all the men and, and many and most of the women were either not ever married or um, to me, the message I heard is that they were all divorced. So I thought that one of the rules of the program is I'm going to have to get divorced because everybody was divorced and like literally everybody that I met had at least one divorce in their history. So I just thought, okay, hold, you know, brace yourself, you know, coming attractions. And in my head, I'm like, great, you know, like this is, you know, okay, whatever, I'll deal with it. It's scary, but um, it's just one of the steps. And I'm grateful to tell you all that uh, I did not get divorced, nor do I intend to get divorced. And uh, it's just funny that I thought that that was one of the rules. Um, I'm going to 
start at the end of the chapter. Um, if you go to page 132, one of the instructions, and, and, and all of this chapter to me is a, a sort of a formula of brace yourself. Because there, you know, I said I'm a man of extremes. You know, I'm either all in or all out. And this is a chapter of balance. And this is a chapter of hold on. You know, I, I heard somebody say once, I'm the most spiritual person I know who lives alone. And that it was a great line um, because this chapter is saying, you know, you, you, you are not on an island. And if you treat it like it's just you and they are, you know, and the individuals around you are just sort of in your space to do what you want, you're going to have a lot of trouble. So the, the, the message of at the end is all this, all this instruction, right, is about how do you live a useful, generous life? You know, we are not a glum lot. That's one of the, you know, famous line in the big book. And we absolutely insist on enjoying life. So there's a, a message of this is not a punishment. This is not a punishment. And, and my disease receives, you know, the message of uh, I have to share with others. My disease receives that as a huge punishment because I really want to make it about am I getting what I want? That's my disease. So um, the, the, the punchline at the end is, no, we're supposed to enjoy. We're supposed to, um, this, is not, this is not a sad message of getting along with others. It's actually helpful to me and to others. And it actually changes what's miraculous about this is it changes the trajectory of multi, can change the trajectory of many generations of families doing business a certain way with addiction, um, leading uh, leading the charge, and I certainly come from uh, a family of food addicts and uh, people with food issues. So who am I? You know, it says it right in the beginning. Um, the more one uh, member, this is on page 122, the more one member of the family demands that the others concede to him, the more resentful they become. This makes for discord and unhappiness. So, you know, if I look at my life, I spent and spend still sometimes a lot of time in a space of disappointment. How come I'm not being seen? How come I'm not being recognized? You know, what about me? How come I'm not being validated? Um, I'm the third of six children, and um, that started early on. You know, that started, what are, how come you're not seeing how good I am? And, um, you know, painfully disappointed when, um, when I'm not being seen. The irony is my disease made me so seen, right? And it made me so, um, so, much, um, so much more seen than other people. And it may be, you know, in retrospect, and who knows why, you know, I, I don't want to get into that. But there was definitely for me, in my experience, you know, a cry for, you know, please, please notice me no matter what, because, you know, that's what I want. And like I said, I don't know how to do things in a balanced way. I, you know, my disease is a disease of more. I always want more and more and more and more. And, and I wasn't getting my share, right, in my disease. I've, I've learned to realize that I have enough. I have enough money. I have enough love. I have enough attention. And that extra layer of more that I sort of pursue is an expression of my, of my disease. And it actually causes me to have resentment and it causes me to have self-pity and it causes me to hurt so so i'm just you know the 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 book describes that you know i'm a sensitive 
I'm very, very, very sensitive to slights. So this is the, the, you know, this is the construction site of, of people disappointing me. And that's really a, a big part of my story is I feel like a disappointment and you're all confirming by not being, meeting my demands, you're all confirming that I am a big disappointment. I take it on myself. I feel sorry for myself and I get angry at you for not giving me what I want. And meanwhile, you don't even know, right, in my disease, you don't even know that I'm, you don't know the, the I didn't even know, to be honest with you. I didn't even know that this is going on, really. I wasn't awake to, to until doing the work to, uh, as to what was going on. Um, so, you know, and, and the, the family afterward talks about how do I share this experience with you all as a way to help. Right. That's the spirit of this. And it, that this is this is actually one of my biggest assets now in terms of helping people is I have an experience to share. So I I my my youngest daughter, I have four kids um, and and <clears throat> the good news is I'm so close with them. And for me, you know, they talk about friendships and re-engaging re the world. For me, I was so invested in the world and not invested in, in my family when I got here that to me, I, they, you know, I'm a man of extremes. I'm way more invested in my kids, uh, you know, and my kids and my family than I actually am in, 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 in my friendships. It used to be the reverse. I was so invested in my, you know, the external outside of my family life. Now I'm very dedicated as, as a family man. And, um, so my, I was with my wife and my youngest and, and my youngest, my, my youngest daughter, you know, adorable. She said to my wife, she said, is dad a nice guy? And she stopped, you know, is he not, is he kind? And, you know, is that how you would describe him? And she said, she didn't say, she said, I would describe him as someone who works really hard on himself. And uh, I'll take that. I'll take that because my first thought isn't kind, right? And I'm not, um, I'm really into just sort of being, this is where I'm at. I am I, uh, growing along spiritual lines, 20 years, you know, of abstinence, you know, and, and imperfect life, right? I grow along, my food is, you know, this is not a, by the way, I often hear people trying to use this for food. This is not Spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection, isn't I, isn't permission to eat. For me, it's it's I am a work in progress, and I still um, I still you know have especially in this arena have things that I need to work on. And my reflex is not to be a giver. My reflex is to be a taker, right? And this whole chapter is about moving towards generosity of spirit and compromise and balance and and leading the approach right what i read was leading with the approach of giving and forgiveness and tolerance right especially in the in with my my parents and siblings and with my my home life here instead of what are you not giving me so when my wife says he really worked on himself right that is the truth my truth is is that my my instinct not as much, right? But my, my initial instinct is, is I get slighted, I get um, where is mine, and I get how come you're not doing for me. The program has really trained, and we talk about God-inspired thinking here. It has really trained me to, to not listen to my first thought, and often my second, third, or fourth one, right? And wait for what we call God-inspired thinking. And, um, and that's, 
you know, when I came here in the beginning, um, I heard people are getting divorced and I have to. I also heard this. And this was a, a remember, I'm hearing what I want to hear. You know, so this isn't I am speaking as what my disease heard, not what the message is. I also heard abstain no matter what and don't worry about anything else. Just and and I definitely uh, I ran with that. I'm like, oh, good. I don't have to care about anybody else. And I only have to care about me. So um, I, you know, first I, I'm both. I, you know, they talk about pitfalls of the husband immersing yourself in program and then uh, immersing yourself in work, I've done both. So first I immersed myself in program because I had no work to immerse myself in. And um, I was the guy who said, I found something, I grew up religious. And, you know, I just used the program and my, um, and my, um, my gift, uh, you know, my gift of abstinence, my gift of beginning to have a new life, which I really did, right? I really started to have a new life from, from, from engaging in the program the way I did. I poured myself in it in the meetings, right? And um, I was really a part of, and all of a sudden, you know, the obsession is gone. And I use that as, as, as a weapon to say the religion I grew up in is just nonsense. And to my wife and parents and siblings, those of you who like your religion, right, you, you don't know what the truth is, right? And, I, you know, I carried that. And so, you know, I'm that guy who finds, who finds something that, that is just like miraculous and, and we're a democracy and, you know, there's no money, property, and prestige and all the blah, 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 you know, indictments that I'm making on these nice people, right? I'm that guy. I'm also the guy who, over time, when I got some success, you know, and I started to to have stability in my life, I, I overdo it with work. So, um, but even as I overdo it with work, I want to say that I never, you know, my anchor and program has never changed. I mean, it's, but I can overdo, I'm, like I said, I'm a man of extremes. And um, so I see the wisdom of talking about the barriers that would befall a guy like me who wants to really crush it, you know, and, 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 you know, or who thinks I found, I'm the answer, I found the answer. And it comes down to a certain humility for me. And um, a, how do I show up here in this family? So initially, right, how do I show up? Do I show up like, you know, you know, I'm invested in being this big shot who's going to crush it in the world. And I got to, under the guise of I have to support everybody and contribute um, to this. And, and, and I can get into a story of it's so expensive and, and how, you know, how can I do it? I have four kids and I have to, but a lot of that is self-serving, right? Or I'm the, I'm the voice, the final voice on spirituality and I wish you were all like me and so forth. Any sort of narrative that I can jump into to, that's an ego fulfilling, you know, thing, I can jump into that. So what I hear over here is how am I a contributing member of this family and how am I generous? The spirit is not taking. The spirit is is being a giver. And um, I look at my life and program, and it's not been. It was immature to start. You know, the whole um, my whole approach was immature. Um, I was saying I was sensitive um, uh, with my with my parents and my siblings and my wife, and and um, very easily hurt, and very good at stinging and biting, and and um, so. In 20 years, you know, the guy who was here in the beginning, um, you know, sort of reading this stuff, rah, rah, um, I read it a little differently now. I'm still inspired by it, by it, but I have to be careful about my rah, rahs when I read this stuff. Um, 
I've changed. I, I want to say that um, I, my father comes from Europe and hadn't, you know, he was a survivor and he, he, of the Holocaust and he hadn't um, faced it. And I arranged a trip for him. And this is, this is a man who um, I experienced as, as endlessly disappointed in me and um, growing up and, and um, strange relationship and so forth. And I just arranged a trip where um, I really, really spearheaded a trip for, for his kids and, and many grandchildren that he has to go visit. And it meant so much to him. And this is a testament to the program. And the other day, this is, you know, we're now six weeks out from this trip. And he, and he's, he said to me, you know, I, I just want to tell you how much, how appreciative I am, how much it means to me, right, that you did this. And, um, I'm, you know, how grateful he is. And, and here's the program. I'm not looking for it so much. I'm not testing him or my siblings to see if they're going to say I'm okay, right? I'm not testing my wife to see if she's going to say I'm okay, right? I'm just sort of living the life of the program that the program has um, given me. And, um, you know, that I, I'm living... I have a formula of living, and uh, it involves cleaning up my messes, sharing very openly about my 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 whatever how however you know without any um, window dressing and branding the truth of my experience, and then walking it through a formula of who I want to be and how I want to show up in God's image to the this thing called spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection. I am no saint, and. And lo and behold, right, after all these years, I would pick me as a father, right? You know, I'm, I'm a good sibling. I'm a good, I'm a good son, right? And, and I'm not driven by the message of what are you doing for me? And, and don't you see how I'm okay, right? Because I feel so un-okay, right? Um, please see me, right? I'm not driven by that like I used to be. And I'm, I'm getting better as a as a husband too, this is not a house. This I have a household where people could come, and and this is an open, welcome house for my kids, friends, and for different people. This is good atmosphere, and it's not an atmosphere of fighting anymore. It's not an atmosphere of criticism. Um, I, I was talking to my we don't fight. We don't fight. It's not a place where there are a lot of fights, and um, a lot of it has to do, um, and I'd say most of it has to do with what you trained me in. Right? You trained me. Right to shut my mouth and to um, and to move towards um, the goal of being a, a contributor, a, a generous person rather than uh, such a taker. And um, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for my abstinence, my food sobriety. And with that, I'll close. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you so much, Adam, for your beautiful share. Thank you to our panelists this morning for sharing so honestly, deeply, and profoundly regarding the directions in Chapter 9, The Family Afterward, and how you've laid that down in your personal lives. Tremendous. Thank you. We will now transition to question-answer segment. Let me let you know that the share ID for this presentation, 13,401, that's 13401. Contact information for the panelists will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so please do not request contact information at this time. We're going to now transition.
You can pose a question to our panelists by pressing star one. Please keep in mind, you know, general over general questions rather than very specific questions probably be uh, most helpful during this segment. And please direct your question to either Katie F, Russ M, Melanie C, or Adam S. Okay. Who has a question this morning for our panelists? Star Ginger C. Ginger, gotcha. Anyone else at the moment? All right, break the ice, Ginger. Go ahead. All right, thanks so much, Lynn. Lynn F. Okay, Lynn F. Gotcha. Thank you. Go ahead, Ginger. Okay. Um, good morning. This is Ginger C. Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. And thank you so much for the four panelists this morning. Just heard so much um, from this chapter, the family afterwards. And it's just such an important piece, these family members that have lived with our addiction. And now we come back home. So um, I will pose this question to Melanie C., says a much more important demonstration of our principles lies before us in our respective homes, similar to probably why this chapter was written. And um, so I just found for myself that sometimes this service, this 12-step piece became more of a problem for my family and was actually hurting them, almost similar to how the food was hurting them. So how do you balance this? And do you see this issue as well um, within program work? Thank you. Thank you, Ginger, for the question. I do, and I watched it in hindsight as my life kind of goes that way over the course of quite a long time. In the beginning, it was necessary for me to, as it turns out, to be completely immersed into a restructuring, reordering um, of my life. I was in very, very bad shape. I wasn't capable of anything. Um, I look back and I see my mind was in such a desperate place. And so this this um, way of life that I would be work, work, uh, looking at and working with was absolutely paramount for a considerable period of time. And introducing that to my family, in my case, I was blessed because my husband was on board. And uh, that's where it was. Everything all day long was about interrupting the thought process that I had in my thinking and my mind with good, solid recovery kinds of work. And it started with entire absence, just figuring that piece out. And had you been a fly on the wall in my house, you would have seen, obviously, how hard that was for me. And then to move on. As time has gone on, I think there's a better approach to your question. I have found that that um, keeping very deeply involved in this particular work has continued to sustain me and that my ability to have God have access to me. That's going to be a part of my life. I'm the real deal. I'm on the other side of this thing. I'm not an easy case, and I know that, and I'm accept- I've accepted that, and so has my family as well. But what has happened, how, what I was taught, is that um, – that my family does come first in this family time. There's a long road of reconstruction happening in this particular, these particular chess pieces, which are valuable to me. So I was taught to do my service work 
before they got up. Melanie would be getting up earlier. As you all know, I'm West Coast, living an East Coast life. I'm out of my bed at 3 a.m. in the morning doing the things that I need to do in order to be able to prepare myself with God before me and do my service work responses and phone calls and things like that. And then I'm watched strategically when my husband isn't around to make any kind of further calls. And then, of course, there's a couple of times at night that we've negotiated what it would be that I would be doing. And that I stick to very, very faithfully. I really do. And I have his permission. And we have discussions around it all the time. Um, also, I had to be careful of, of just watching my own ego and, and the difference between what it was important for my recovery so that I would be paying it forward and be present and what it was that I was just replacing one thing with the next. How many sponsees do you have? How much more would I be doing? How many phone calls would I be picking up in the day? It was all very, very critically um, important to take a look at, and I didn't do it by myself. I run everything by my sponsor. With this infant brain, are you kidding me? And the toxic thinking that I have, which was 100% of my operating system in my skull, was going to be run before my sponsor so that she would uh, be able to sh- share with me the wisdom of what her experience has taught her so that it could be reorganizing and re, um, redevelopment of a, of a lifespan. I think I share that basically in a general way, that there's caution and there's teaching going on constantly, and there's clearly balance. My family's a part of that decision-making, and I do it outside of our time together. Thanks. Thanks, Ginger, for the question. Melanie, of course, thank you for the response. Lynn F., your question, please. Yes. Um, good morning, fellows, and thank you um, to the panelists this morning. Your shares were remarkable. And um, I t- uh, this question is for anyone who feels moved to answer it. I did tune in a few minutes after uh, Katie started. Um, my question is working your program, and, and you all beautifully explained how rigorous and how um you know, dedicated you are to your recovery. And has anyone found that through that work and staying close to this work, it still is necessary to say, um, to part amicably with a family member that, um, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't build the inroads with, or um, it, it wasn't healthy and what that looked like in recovery. Thanks. I I could answer that. I mean, I could shed a little light on it if you want. Okay. Russ, go ahead. All right. Then thank you for the question. So I have a younger – my brother-in-law, I, we, we stopped talking about uh, it's over 10 years. He was one of my best friends. And, you know, there was a situation that went down. Uh, he was living his life. I was living my life. And him and my wife, who th- those two were very, very close, right? They're very close. They got into it, and, you know, we said some hurtful things. You know, it's one of those deals. We all were at fault, but, you know, my wife and I kind of laid into them. Now, we don't talk, right? November, my best friend passed away, and I'm upset about it. And, you know, I, I had to reach out to Jeff, my brother-in-law. And I, ta- I-, I called him. I said, look, man, I'm sorry. I'm just sorry the way it is handled. I love you. You know, I'm here. You know, if you just try to make it right. And, uh, you know, he texted me there, so he's not ready to talk. But he appreciated me doing that. And I wasn't so pissed. I was just kind of down about it. 
But, you know, the program tells me I got to try to make things right. And all I can do is that. And it sucks. It sucks. I love him. It's my, that's my boy. One of my friends. And it's just a stupid thing. Yet, I cannot control his, you know, what, what he wants out of life. He has his own life. And I can't blast him. I can't give him a hard time. All I can do is pray that I, you know, my wife and I and our family and our kids could have some peace with it. I ain't, I'm not the cut you off type guy. You know, I, I you know, when I love somebody, I love them. I don't care what you're doing with your life. You're, you're, it's for life. That's just how I am. I'm codependent, but that's who I am. And it's really difficult. It's, it hurts. We shared music together. You know, we played in a band. We were tight. It's just, it's just hard to. My, my point is, I can't control that person. I can only keep living my program, living my life the way God wants me to live. And other people's. You know, the, the way they handle how, it, that, that immense process or my apology or how I treat them, it, it's not my business. I don't want to be harsh. I'm saying they got to make a choice. I'll always be here for him. And he knows it. He's just hurt. And I'm hurt. We're all hurt. You know, hopefully God will. God can heal anything, man. If he can heal me and my mother-in-law, he can heal anything. So I always have that hope. It's just. Some, you know, God will put the people in your life that need to be there and take the ones that do not need to be there. You know, as long as we live with love and tolerance, I think that's the best way of doing it. And if it wasn't for program, I wouldn't have known how to do that. So I, ho- I hope that helps you there, Lynn. Thank you, Lynn F., for the question. Who else has a question today for our panelists? Leah F. Anita B. Anyone else want to get in this group? All right, take that as a no. Leah S., please go ahead, direct your question to a specific panelist, please. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, wow. Um, Katie, my question is to you. We have a three-year-old that we're going to go through with exes. Um, We're going to be going through some, I mean, her life, you know, with exes. And I was wondering if you could... um, if you could just talk a little bit more about um, how you deal with, um, well, it's not X, but it's 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 your husband's um, it's your husband's uh, children and and um, you know sort of uh, speak more about that. Okay, thank you for the question. Um, well. As I said, they were very young when um, when uh, we got married, and so we had joint custody of them, and I was with them every other week. And then, um, so the difficult part was when my uh, the oldest one was in high school. She decided um, to spend more time in her mother's house and less time at our house. And over, and then she went away to college, and she chose to spend almost no time with any of us. And so there was really a, almost a 10-year period where we 
had very little contact with her. And so to rebuild that, I mean, I guess the best way to, I can say that is that just letting her, um, well, here's an example. Um, when she, you know, we would, we kind of spent a lot of years being uh, like, okay, well, we know she went to her mother's cause we saw her car there this week or whatever, cause they live close by and she didn't come to see us and, you know, kind of poor us attitude. And then after a while, um, quite a while, we realized, you know, we just need to take ourselves there to where she lives. She lives an hour away. So we started offering to take her and her then boyfriend, who then became her fiance, and now her husband, to lunch about once a month. And so, you know, that's how we did it. We just gradually just got back into her life on her terms, you know, not pushing not inviting her to every single family event, not inviting her to, you know, or asking to be a part of everything she did. And um, the relationship is now at a very um, healthy place, you know, for an adult child. I don't know if that helps, but um, you're certainly welcome to call me if you want um, further help with your specific situation. Thanks. Thanks. Leah S. for the question. Anita B., your turn, star one to unmute. Thank you. Uh, so grateful I picked up the phone this morning to listen to the meeting. And forgive me, I can't remember everyone's name, but I think it was the last gentleman who spoke. That's spoke Adam about S. Matt S. Adam. Oh, Adam, sorry. Adam spoke about um, being a disappointment and having other people... Um, verify that by their actions. Uh, I just wanted to know if he could explain a little bit more about that for me because that really connected with me. Hi, this is Adam, um, compulsive eater. Um, so the question is to expand upon being a disappointment. So just to be clear, my disease, um, the way that if, when I inventory what I'll often come up with right, uh, through that process is a sense of, through the lens of self-pity, right, that I am being received as a disappointment to others, right, most likely I'm a disappointment to myself, right, on some level I have a story of I'm a disappointment, I'm a disappointment, I should be liked more, I should have more attention, more, 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 more. So when I talk about the experience of disappointment, um, absent recovery what I usually come up with is that I'm not enough and you're disappointed in me. You're not confirming that I'm okay. You're saying I'm not okay, right? Whether you real or fancied, right? It doesn't really matter. And that's how I'm, you know, so therefore I'm not okay. And I'm going to, I'm going to be angry and bitter. And um, that's what I mean when I say the looking for reasons why I'm a disappointment and the recovery okay. would be, the recovery would be how do I, how do I, what, what is the formula of healing that by sharing it by, by, and by walking it through the process of what is the opposite of being a disappointment? It's not so self-involved. It's more about, hey, I have enough, right? Always remembering I have enough food. It starts with the food and then into other areas of my life. Enough money, I have enough of everything, and I have to be of service. So that's what I would, I would say. Thank you, Anita B., for the question. 
Lisa B., your turn. Hi, yeah, this is Lisa. Um, thank you guys so much. It was, it's been amazing. Really, really wonderful um, uh, talk today. Um, I guess my question would be for Melanie. Um, so, um, when it says that um, you know we don't, you know, our like the acceptance pages, our rights try and come in as well, and you know we we don't, you know, we don't act on them, or we don't, you know, we don't. I'm saying it wrong, but what do you do when? You feel like your rights, you know, oh, this is the way, I know this is right, this is the way it's supposed to be, and I know that I'm, you know, I need to let go of the resentment and ask God to remove it and, um, and not act that way, but the feelings do still come up sometimes, and I feel like, no, no, even though I'm the one in recovery, but you need to treat me like this, or this needs to happen, so how do you handle those moments when you're disturbed, if you if that happens, um, when you feel like your rights are trying to come in and, and, um, and you know, mess up with your serenity in the way you know you should be behaving towards your family? Thank you. Hi, Lisa. I like that one a lot. It's been one of my best teachers um, along the way and most especially lately. If I'm understanding your, your question correctly, what happens? Because I do get disturbed. I have learned through the process and, and God awakening me that whenever I'm disturbed, there's something wrong with me. And I like to change that word that something is happening. God is trying to get my attention about a character defect that he wants he and I to visit a bit. And from that point of view, I realize now that whatever was before me was the vehicle in which to get my attention about this character defect, and God said it's time to get to work on me. And so I would able, I'm able to push out of my mind that thing and turn inward to what it is I was going to learn and stretch and grow with the opportunity that it brought to me to be more effective and useful and walk that much farther away from the disease and my character defect as it is. God is ready to put something upon me that he says I'm capable of being and doing, which is a bigger jump and stretch into the next dimension. And I can't wait for it. And, and this came about as a result of all of this kind of work that people have poured into me and God has transformed me into. So in a situation where... Um, you know, we're just kind of bopping along doing our thing and then boom, this thing comes up. Hubby has done something or come before me with something and that thing comes up. <gasps> what about me? What about me? What about me? I have learned to grab a hold of it really quick before it gets too far out of the cage because I'm responsible for every single thought that comes through, especially these that are not from God. And I turn to the right and I hand it to God and I say, here we go. Where you're taking me with this and onto the 10th step that I do. And there's times where I do a more expanded 10th step in order to be able to get clearly aware of what the disease was trying to present itself like today. And then from that, it evaporates. There's something that miraculously happens that I can say it doesn't matter to me if I have one more thing on this earth that's given to me because I had my quota of, of chocolate chip cookies that were handed out in this world by the time I was six, and that goes for getting everything I wanted out of life by robbing you of it. That was included in that rights. I don't care about that anymore. God has gotten a point where I'm almost neutral. But they do come up from time to time, and I say, whoa, red flag, neener, neener, neener. I grab it up, and I turn and put it to God and put the step. There's a step to everything. It's going to solve all my problems. My problems are here within me. They are not about rights. They're not about freedom. They're not about anything else that the, that the world has put value on. It's about how God's going to transform me to rightly align with that. hope that helps. 
Thanks, Lisa B., for the question. Okay, this will be our final invitation for questions this morning. Star 1 to unmute if you'd like to pose a question to one of our panelists. Becca R. Becca. Melissa C. Melissa, got you. Uh, This is Mia. Um, Is that Mia? Yes. Mia, okay. Marilyn T. Anne Marie. Marilyn... Is that T? Yes. Okay, and one more? Anne-Marie M. Anne-Marie. Okay, that'll take us to the closing this morning. All right, everybody mute, please, except for Becca R. Hey, good morning. It's Becca R., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, from calling in today from Midway, Kentucky. Um, My question, I'm not sure if it was... Um, the third or the fourth speaker? I, I'm not sure if it's Adam or um, the fourth uh, panelist was Adam. Yes. Okay. So my question is the um, finding the balance. And I kind of got roll my eyes at even saying that, but finding um, the the opportunity to work with others, have a family, and um, develop boundaries with uh, with sponsorship, and if you could just share a little bit on that, I know that's kind of vague, but um, we got it. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Becca. Adam S. Hi, this is Adam, compulsive overeater. I um, so what I'm hearing is how do I do it all? Meaning, how do I have a wife, four children, and um, work a program, work with others, and make a living, and um, you know. It's a busy life. I, you know, it really is. Um, You know, we, you know, packing things into the stream of life we talk about. And, um, you know, my, in my disease, I was like, it was, I I was, especially this disease, I was so, I I was immobile, right? It was so hard for me to mobilize. And um, the reality is, is that I have a very cool wife um, who kind of got early on that I need this. Um, and that it, this is really good for everybody if I do this. So there's never been a debate about you're doing too much service or too much program. And I, I go to four meetings a week and I sponsor people. I sponsor um, right now three people and um, I have a sponsor and uh, I say yes to commitments when I, when it, when I can um, for sure. Um, you know, when I can't because of work, it's another thing. So, the answer I have is it's involved and it's taxing and it's and sometimes it's tiring. But um, I, you know, to get back to the theme, I don't feel like a walking disappointment anymore. You know, I I, I like being me. I like the life I have. I, I like the, uh, you know, the, I like my role as father. You know, employer, um, friend, uh, husband. You know, I'm, you know, it's worth it and it, it's not a chore. Uh, because that's the gift God gives too. Is, is that this is the miracle of it is that I'm willing to. So thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Becca R. for the question. Melissa C. You're up. Hi. Good morning. Thank you so much for your service. This is a really beautiful meeting. Um, my question is really for for anybody that feels like they can can help me with this. Um, you know, like. 
being recovered now, I feel like I've stumbled upon the answer. And and I sometimes struggle in that with my family in that um, I want to advise. I want to I want to point them to these beautiful directions, even though they they're not necessarily addicts and don't need to follow it. And and so I sort of struggle um, in seeing people perhaps in pain or making things that look like mistakes. And um, wondering if anybody has any any words about that. Thank you. This is Katie F. We probably ahead, all Katie. four want to jump in on that one, but um, yes, Melissa, I, well, just this week, my um, daughter was um, expressing some bitterness. She's 21, bitterness about something. And, you know, I just said, you know, the only person you're hurting by being resentful is yourself, you know? So um, I just try to, to get little bits of, um, of what I would say to a sponsee or a co-fellow, you know, just those kind of things. But um, I have a niece who also this week, I found out that she has a health problem and um, she has struggled with her weight. And I was told that the health problem was, uh, would be less of a problem if she lost weight. So it literally was, you know, me just just holding my hands together and just gritting my teeth and saying, she's not asking for my help. She's not asking for my help because I wanted to jump in. And so, you know, I, there's times when I do jump in and I say something and then there's times when I just have to wait. But I definitely feel like, you know, because I have planted a seed with her, I feel like the ball is in her court now. And so I do plant seeds with people. I do try to plant seeds. I do try to take an opportunity, if God gives it, to say, you know, I do work a program that really helps with this. Um, if I really think that they may have an eating problem, if it's just regular stuff that everybody could use words of wisdom from 12-step way of life, I just give it. Um, and people are pretty clear when they don't want it. I don't go on and on. And that's what I do. And I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C., for the question. Now we'll move on to Mia. I need your first letter of your last name as well, please. Mia, star one to uh, unmute. Hi. Uh, am I unmuted? You are. Can I please okay. have the first Mia letter of your M. last name? M. M. Thank you. Go ahead okay. with your question. Thank you. Um uh, one of the women talked about having a sister and a mother who were in program and then left program. And my question is, um, how do you handle family members, close family members, like uh, um, who are compulsive overeaters and may or may not be in program? and you get triggered by what they're eating that is not on your own food plan or also not to be taking their inventory. Thank you. Okay, for the question. That would be Katie F. who spoke about that. Um, I was the one who said that. This is Katie F. Um, my sister's, my one sister was actually in 12-step rooms for 10 years, and my mother and my other sister had all come to 12-step programs at one time or another, and I only have one sister who never walked in the rooms. And, you know, 
with regard to the, what they're eating, I mean, it's, it's not easy to, to not judge what they're doing. Um, and so I have had to work my program very hard um, around that. And, the, you know, that's the great thing about um, this fellowship is that we talk to each other. So um, I haven't burned bridges with them by screaming at them or saying anything to them specifically about what they're eating. Um, what I've done in the last few years is just express my concern for their health. You know, uh, two of them are morbidly obese and, you know, one is, you know, 50 pounds overweight. I don't know if that's morbidly obese or not. I don't know where that line is, but, you know, I don't have, I'm not triggered by what they eat because after working the steps, the promises, you know, we're given the promise that we will become neutral with food. And so I would, you know, I don't know how long you've been recovered, if you are recovered or not, but definitely that goes away, that I have no interest in what they're eating. It could be cardboard, as, as my sponsor says. You know, I enjoy my own food, and um, what they eat is none of my business. So it's just a, it's a daily thing. It's a bit of a thorn in my flesh to say, you know, I can't control the world, and here's an example. Um, and I just have surrendered the fact that um, I don't know what's best for them, and God does, and I put them in God's care. That hope that helps. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Mia M. Marilyn T., your time for a question. Thank you, Leah. This is Marilyn T., um, um, compulsive overeater in Northern California. Um, I'm just going to put this out to anyone, and I may not even, no one may have spoke of it, but I have a question. Um, having good boundaries with an ex and a good relationship. So people that, uh, anyone has an answer for that. Thank you. Any of our panelists want to speak to to that? Setting boundaries. Well, I can answer that if no one else wants okay. to. This is Katie F. again. Um, as I said, I have an ex being my husband's ex-wife, and... I had to set the boundaries um, because I, I thought that she, I could be friends with her. And it really, it's even, you know, saying that now just doesn't even make sense. I mean, we are friendly to each other. Um, I cried when her mother died. I, you know, went to the funeral home and all that stuff. Um, when we went to my daughter's, my stepdaughter buying her dress, we both looked at each other and cried when she came out in a dress and, you know, we have moments, but I do not call her to talk about issues with the children, with issues with my husband or, or my in-laws or any, anything. Um, I had, and the way I did that was just to stop doing it um, because it takes two people to have a conversation. And, you know, so many things that I think are a problem, when I stop doing something, Suddenly, they're not a problem because it turns out that I was the one that was leading the pack. So when I stopped doing it, I didn't have to tell her, I'm not going to call you anymore. Um, I stopped doing it, and she stopped calling me. So, you know, I have found that works in, a, in so many areas of my life, you know, that when I 
thought people were asking me too many questions about my food. You know, when I stopped bringing it up, lo and behold, no one asked me any questions. So um, if, you know, you have anything more specific, I can, am happy to take your call. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Marilyn T. Our final question for this morning comes from Anne-Marie M. Star one to unmute, Anne-Marie. Hi. Yes, hi. This is Anne-Marie M. Uh, Thank you so much for everyone. My question is for those that have adult children. I think that might be only Naomi and Katie. Um, But if if, um, the uh, Adam and... um, Oh, gosh, I can't think of Russ. Russ has any experience with adult children. Um, how I, I have a, a daughter. She's uh, an only child, and I don't know what's normal um, as far as interaction. Um, how often do you see them? How often do you call? How often do they call you? Do you take every single phone call? So that's my question. <laughs> Who would like to respond to Anne-Marie's This question. is Melanie. Go ahead, Mel. Hi. Um, I do have an only child um, birthed by me, an adult son, and, and we're working through some things, and I worked it through the very, very hard way, and, and um, it took a long time for me to um, be clear enough in mind to be able to understand how to, to – um, to work a relationship, what I had learned in these in these programs is that I'm no longer a mother, I'm no longer a best friend, I'm no longer any of those things dependent upon a child. They just are not equipped to be able to handle that. And I did that through step work, having lots of conversations with my board of directors about these kinds of things because I was so involved, so involved in his success, so involved in his, his um, avoiding landmines and pain and things like that that I had way overstepped. And, of course, the toxicity of this twisted thinking blinded me from whatever it was to tell me that I was being helpful, that um, I was to build friendships and relationships with with my peers, you know, with with my peers, and that I was to let this particular young man uh, forge his way through his life, how he's going to need to do that. And every single painful experience that he was encountering was going to be the step towards the next thing that was going to enlighten, enliven, and and build his life, and I was interfering with that to a great extent. I don't know that there's a rule book ever written on how many times a day I should call, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. What I was impressed upon and impressed me was that I was going to have a different relationship. I was no longer a mother in that sense. I was no longer and should have never been a best friend in that sense. Um, but that I was going to put on a different role and God has shaped me in what that role would be. Um, In my particular case, um, you know, taking some lead from what, what it is that he is doing, but also taking the lead myself. At the top of page 83, it says, yes, there is a long period of reconstruction ahead. We must take the lead. I'm moving from infancy to mature adulthood. I need to get myself right. I need some distance to pull back from what my toxic relationships were, a great bit of pullback before I can reenter. It's like like I would never go into a bakery shop or, or a candy store in the very beginning. It's just not good. I'm going to go into the barbershop every day. I'm going to get a haircut. I don't go. I pull back, pull back until I'm well so I can see some light. Do my own work first. And understand that there's time. 
there's time. God's going to grant time for healing and recompense. But I've got to get some distance from it first. That's the way I work this deal. Excellent. Thank you, Anne-Marie, for your question. Thanks to all who posed questions this morning. And, of course, thank you to our four panelists, KDF, Russ M., Melanie C., and Adam S. Thank you for giving so much of yourselves this morning to all of us. Deep, deep, deep and profound work that you've been doing. Thank you very much. We're going to close from page 164. You'll notice that it's in a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.